Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. Today we have a very special guest, Stuart Levine, who is the founder of Resolution Works and also a recent, an author of a recent book, many books, and but the most recent book being Collaboration 2.0, Technology and Best Practices for Successful Collaboration in a Web 2.0 World. Welcome, Stuart. Thank you, Cheryl. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad to have you. So where are you today? Uh, right now, I am on Long Island. Ah, in New York. In New York. Ah. In New York, it seems that I'm, you know, I move around a lot these days, and even though I, I try sometimes to do my best to keep my carbon footprint low, uh-huh. <laughs> sometimes it sometimes it doesn't work quite as yeah. well as I would like. Yeah. I understand that. That's kind of how it is in a mobile world and a Web 2.0 world when we can reach everybody in every moment. Huh? Yeah. So are you um, experiencing winter yet in New York? It's definitely winter. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, you know, it, I, 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 I checked the weather on a 10-day forecast about five days ago and didn't recheck it, and I should Uh-oh. have. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's about 10 degrees or so chillier than I thought. Okay, well, you just have to put your warm coat on and get out there and enjoy that crisp day, huh? Yep, but it's yeah. really fall here. It's, yeah, it's very that's fall. delightful. Mm-hmm. So you, though, live in the Bay Area, in the San Francisco Bay Area in California, is that correct? I do. I live in, in Oakland, and it was, you know, it's, as, you, as you know, it's been about 75 degrees yeah. the last few days. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's been wonderful. <laughs> so um, I want to talk about um, just all the perspectives of your work. I know that you have, early in your career, you were trained as an attorney, right? I was. And so you practiced law for a while. I did, about 10 years. 10 years. And um, and something in there um, kind of triggered your interest outside of practicing law. I'm curious if you can kind of sum up your experience as a practicing attorney, um, what that was like, and what kind of piqued your interest into moving beyond that. Sure. Um, I, can, I can give you what I think is a really good capsule for me. Um, I... Practiced law for about ten years in a number of different contexts, um, including a, you know, a bunch of litigation. And one of the things that I, I learned in that area and was troubled by was how law- lawyering is not really about resolving conflict, mm. which which was the perspective that I had going in. That um, I thought it would be all about resolving conflict, resolving conflict effectively. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a great story that I hadn't thought of in 25 years that's at the beginning of my book, Getting to Resolution, where I was working for a, a legal services organization as a, a student, my second year of law school, a clinical program, and they gave me 25 cases and said, Stuart, this should keep you busy for the next 14 weeks. And after three weeks, I went back to the head of the program and I asked for more cases. And he said, what did you do with the cases that we gave you? And I said, I resolved them all. 
Now, I knew nothing about what I was supposed to do as a lawyer. Um, I thought I was supposed to. He said, how'd you do that? I said, well, I, I read over the files, and I, I figured out what was fair to everyone and oh, made a boy. proposal, and everybody said yes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So I, I, you know, and, and I guess part of what that translates into is that you can't bill as much time Right? I mean, if That's, things don't drag out over time, then it's not as as lucrative. Right. That's a that's a that's a that's one slice of it. Looking right. at it from that, you know, self interested financial perspective. Right. Then, right. And the other side of it are all these um, ethical rules and con- constraints about jealously advocating for your clients, and sometimes that's not the best way right. to get a result. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, so, so you know, the way I describe the shorthand is in that period of time I practiced law, I learned a lot about how not to resolve conflict. Oh, how interesting. Mm-hmm. So, um, what do you think, where did you develop that sense in your life um, that conflict was something to be approached to resolve? Um, <laughs> The short answer is I think it came from my family of origin. Yeah. A place where not a whole lot of conflict was resolved. Ah. There was, you know, there was a, a lot of um, a lot of loud noise, a lot of gesticulating. Yeah. Um, but nothing ever was really discussed and bottomed out. You know, the good news is that it didn't have left. There wasn't lasting anger. But the bad news is, is it never felt like things were really um, bottomed out in terms of a what I'd call a good conversation. That gets mm. to the bottom of things, mm. and uh, a, a certain level of sensitivity I have, and an orientation to um, what I call psychological process and awareness of other people, and, and that also had no place in the practice of law. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, so those those couple of things kind of drove me when I when I when I became you know really disenchanted with practicing law. I started to look at other alternatives, and I, that's when I started my research and quest. Um, and I started to see that, that there was this thing called mediation that was just starting to, you know, um, peak above the horizon. Yeah. It's probably yeah. in the early 1980s. Hmm. Hmm. And so, did you leave your law practice, or did you um, decide to incorporate that more into the way you did business? Oh, I left rather dramatically. Mm. <laughs> I just decided that that uh, I didn't want to have anything to do with law ever again. Oh boy! Now I, I've come full circle. On yeah. That, but that was my sense, and I, I when I stopped practicing law, I went to work for AT and T. They had a million employees when I started. Um, they were going through divestiture in the early 1980s, and my clients were major. Um, National law firms. Oh boy! So I, I was in the marketing department, and yeah. that was an important piece of my education because what I realized from that experience is that the reason people end up in conflict is that they're not real good at creating clarity on the front end of what they do uh, in terms of what their agreements are and what their joint vision is. Well, now that that's interesting. You know, I mean, I've heard this before, and I certainly have experienced it, where um, 
people are get into some sort of argument, and pretty soon they don't even know what they're arguing about, right? Yeah. And so um, they just start doing a lot of grandstanding, and you know, it becomes about somebody having the last word. Um, how do you help people to move past that? Well, yeah. The, the models I've developed around collaboration and conflict resolution um, are based upon some very, very simple basic psychology, um, and that is, well, I'll back up for a second. First of all, the way to prevent that from happening is to have the kind of clear agreements on the front end before they move forward. Second of all, to get people to recognize that most of the conflict they're having it's all personality and, and psychologically based, and most of it is structural just because people are different. And once the conflict erupts, um, there's a way that I put people through a conversational process that takes care of um, the kind of thing that you're talking about by giving people the opportunity to say everything they need to say about the situation. Mm. Um, without arguing back and forth. Oh. Mm. So do, are people um, generally responsive? I mean, do they, are they, yeah. are they saying, oh, this is a good way to go, or are they, do they resist? Um, well, <laughs> often by the time they, they get to me, yeah. um, they have suffered enough pain, and they recognize the cost to them in a number of different ways, and so they're you know they're ready to step into another place and they're ready to be educated. Mm. So a lot of it is about education. A lot of it a lot of it is about reframing the the, the way people think about the whole arena of. Um, so that's that's a piece of it. I actually have um, something that I call the the the, um, the ten principles of resolutionary thinking. Ooh, and I can't wait to hear about that. Let's hold that till we come back from a break. We'll have more with Stuart Levine. Money, money, up-to-date business and financial news. Money, money. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. 
more and more business people recognize the importance of spirituality in their work. How do busy professionals discover what rings true to them? Embracing the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad explores what it means to be spiritually fulfilled in business and how to integrate spiritual direction into a career. Expert guests, authors, and inspiring speakers join Karen every week to discuss such issues as honesty, compassion, generosity, ethics, and integrity in the workplace. Take a positive step forward to greater life balance. Tune into Embracing the Journey with Karen Humphrey Salad, broadcasting every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Money, money, up-to-date business and financial news. Money, money, calm down and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. We're speaking with Stuart Levine this morning about conflict and collaboration. And Stuart, you were just going to be telling us about the 10 principles of conflict and collaboration. Why don't we jump right into that? Sure. Uh, the, the, one of the critical aspects of, of um, dealing with conflict is the mindset that you bring to it. And you know, what I've learned over time is there are many, many vectors that float around when people are trying to collaborate with each other effectively. Different personalities, different communication styles, and all of these outside interests in terms of different histories, different needs, different desires. Uh-huh. And so a real important thing is to, is to see conflict as something that's structural, it's not personal. And to be able to do that, there are ten aspects that make up what I call resolutionary thinking. Okay, so, well, I just want to stop you right there because what you just said, to see conflict as structural right. and not personal right. is huge. I, <laughs> <laughs> that's huge. I mean, how, how do you really, when people are in the middle of... Um, conflict, when they're in the middle of their emotions, how do you get them to, to even grasp that concept? Um, they, they, you know, just by the process of educating, by the process of de-escalating the loud, noisy conversation um, to get people to see that they may even be just saying the same thing to each other in terms of the words. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that happen. People are saying the same thing to each other, and yet they're angry at each other. You know, they get plugged in at an emotional level uh, when it's not about the words, about the content between them. Ah. Ah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, the thing to do when people are talking in those voices, mm-hmm. is, you know, one, let them go for a while <laughs> to get that out of their system. Right. right. And then, two, you start modulating the conversation by talking to them in kind of a lower voice, you kind of almost like talking them down. But huh. people have to go through the emotion. If they don't go through the emotion, it still sits inside them. Ah. Mm-hmm. So you're not saying to have the emotion is a bad thing. No, it's absolutely not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's a natural thing. You see, the reason that people get into conflict is because of um, a disappointed expectation. 
is why it's so important to have a vision on the front end. People think that when they're about to do some any kind of collaboration with someone else, they had a vision of what it was going to be like. Mm-hmm. And the reason people end up in arguments is because the reality turns out a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And then from a an emotional and psychological perspective, they've had a loss. It hasn't been a real loss. They almost had no right to expect it in the first place, uh-huh. but that was their personal vision. Uh-huh. Ah. And so there's no agreement. Exactly. Yeah. It, it comes from not having a clear agreement on the front end. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So but, you help people to see that piece, and that's a little bit of an aha for them, and, and then they're more willing to listen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and then it's a matter of creating the context in which everybody gets to um, say what they need to say about the situation. Mm-hmm. But for people who want to really learn and, 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 and come into this with a mindset that's going to be receptive, you know, there are these ten principles that are very, very important. And I won't go through all of them, but would you like to hear a few? Yes. <laughs> Great. So one of them is, is, is stepping forward with a mindset of abundance. All right? And, and here's what I mean by that. The mindset of abundance means, you know, very often people get into conflict and they they bring to it a mindset of either them or me. It's a win or lose. There's not enough for all of us. Um, and what what is true is that, is that in most instances, there is enough for both people mm-hmm. if people can use their creativity, but you've got to come at it with a mindset of, okay, what do they need and how can I figure out how to give them what they need and what do I need and how can they figure out what I need. Usually there are ways of increasing the pie if we can bring our creativity to it. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what are some more of those principles? Pardon? Oh, okay. Um, one of would be learning. To see a process of resolving a conflict not as one of learning, not as, not as one as argument or being right but to step into a place of learning. It's about teaching and learning. It's about understanding the other's perspective and where they were coming from. It's about thinking long-term is another one of the principles. It's about thinking um, openness and disclosing of information um, as an important piece. Um, This sounds so counter to what I imagine things people experience whenever they're involved in anything legal with attorneys involved. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, mean, I, I, I know a lot of attorneys, and I, I really think they're wonderful people. <laughs> and I also know a lot of attorneys that have done what you have done, which is left the law, um, because it turned out not to be what they thought it would be. And part of that, that whole piece about withholding information, not being forthcoming in the protective sense, you know, in order to protect your client, um, actually is pretty dysfunctional. Well, one of the things that I came to, and believe me, <clears throat> I did a lot of thinking about this, yeah. is that a lot of the legal system um, is designed not to resolve conflict. All, the, all of the tools and techniques, it's not about resolving conflict. It's about engaging um, in this um, courtly game yes. of lawyering. Yes. 
Um, and if you think about it, you know, lawyering had its origin back in the um, king's court. And courtly games are perhaps things that kings can afford, but most people right. can't afford to go there. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. Oh, boy, yeah. that's really a good insight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and, and just to kind of to speak to the other side, yeah, the other side of what you're saying about the legal profession, there is, I'm happy to say, because I've kept very close in touch, um, a, a number of very, very progressive and valuable um, movements going on within the legal profession. Mm. Would, would you believe that I was um, asked and, and, in fact, wrote a chapter for a book of all progressive movements in the legal profession that were sponsored by a, an organization called the um, International Center for Healing and the Law. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. So, and, and also a, a lot of large corporate organizations and large insurance companies have become signatories to a pact that they will look to resolve conflict by alternative means before engaging in litigation. And mediation mm-hmm. is just, um, it's really taken off in the last 25 years. Wow. So do you think that's because um, attorneys like yourself um, started kind of turning around and looking at it, at the system, saying this is dysfunctional, this is not working, and, um, you know, we really need to do something differently. But when I hear you say healing and the law, um, I wonder how well is this accepted? Well, it's, it's that, that, that word is starting to kind of percolate. But, but to go back for a second, the word healing, to, to go back for a second, um, you know, what was the motivation? The motivation, in part, was um, attorneys like myself who found the traditional practice distasteful. As a matter of fact, through American Bar Association surveys, there's a 65 to 70% dissatisfaction among practicing attorneys with their... Um, with their day-to-day, quote, jobs. Wow. But a big part of the motivation came from um, insurance companies mm-hmm. and major corporate organizations mm-hmm. uh, realizing the extraordinary waste and cost of the litigation process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. So, so both an economic and a, um, uh, a psychological human um, perspective. Right, the costs are way too high. Yeah, yeah I, I actually look at um, the cost of, of conflict, and I've divided it into kind of four separate categories. One is the, the out-of-pocket cost for hiring professionals, mm-hmm. either lawyers or mediators and the experts that go along with them. Mm-hmm. The productivity cost, that includes opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. The... Um, relationship or continuity cost, what it costs to bring new people on board on a team in an organization when uh, people cannot continue to work together. The cost in that area is just huge. And and the emotional cost, which which in part contributes to the health cost. uh, From Sausalito, I'm sure you're familiar with um, Dr. Dina Winish. Yes, yeah. Well, you know, Noted cardiologist, you know, his research reveals that the greatest cause of disease 
is stress and conflict. Wow. Much of it coming from the workplace. Really? Yes. Oh. <laughs> so do yeah. you think that that is, um, you know, I can understand stress coming from the workplace because of workloads and um, systems not actually being lined up to achieve what you're wanting to achieve. Um, what about the conflict? Where does the conflict show up the most? Interpersonal. It, it permeates organizations. It's all over the place. Hmm. Um, I teach um, a number of different programs around relationship, communication, conflict resolution for the American Management Association. And um, it's amazing because uh, people come to learn and they learn how to uh, better get along and better to communicate more effectively. Right. Well, and so... You, you must start out teaching them the concept of it being structural, not personal. Um, yes. <laughs> and, yeah. And how to, how to communicate more effectively mm. with other people mm. so that they don't have the, the breakdowns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I read the phrase you used, teaching conversational competence right. to, to leaders around the world. Um, so give me an example of how somebody is competent in their conversation style. Sure. Okay. So one of them would be, you know, I'll go back to something I mentioned earlier, that most conflict comes from um, lack of agreement on the front end when we start working together on yeah. a project, uh, when we start a collaboration of any kind, when we start a team, when we begin uh, an employment relationship. So conversational competence to me is, okay, what conversation do you and I need to have when we're beginning this project together? Hmm. And I, I invariably, when I'm doing public programs, will ask the group, so how many people in here learned when they were very young what is the conversation you need to have when you're beginning a project? And, you know, Sometimes I get a couple of hands raised, but the answers when I probe a little further are really very rudimentary. Ah. And to me, conversational competence is, is people knowing immediately what they need to talk about, having a frame. What's their intent and vision? What are they doing together? What are the roles that each person is going to play? What are the promises that each person will make to bring that vision into reality? Uh, What's the time and value of this project uh, to each of the person, people involved? Um, how are they going to measure whether or not they achieve that vision? Hmm. Um, what are the concerns and fears they have about moving forward? How are they going to resolve the inevitable conflicts that they know are going to come up because no matter how good we are, we haven't thought about everything? Uh, how will they renegotiate when they discover new details they didn't think up at the beginning? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and do they really have a good, clear agreement? Are they both on the same ground? So that's that, to me, is an important aspect of conversational competence. You had a roadmap for what it is that you are trying to build by way of a bridge between you and another person when you want mm -hmm. to achieve something together. It sounds positively mature and adult-like. <laughs> <laughs> very, very perceptive of you. It, it's absolutely true. I mean, often I describe when people are in conflict that when they come together with a third party, 
maybe they won't act like two year olds. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with Stuart Levine. Talk about his money. Call us toll free 866-472-5790 and talk to the experts. We talk money all the time. Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. There you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The economy and financial markets continue to expand in both their size and complexity. But being able to anticipate changes in the markets for housing, jobs, and financial assets remains a crucial ingredient to our financial well-being. On the economy and the markets, with economist, investment strategist, portfolio manager, and host, Doug Cliggett, utilizes his 25 years of experience with that of his highly informed guests to provide clear, reasoned explanations of current events. To navigate the markets that influence our lives every day of the week, tune into The Economy and the Market. With Doug Cliggett, broadcasting each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The economy and the markets. Clear thoughts in a complex world. Stocks, bonds, 401ks, investments, refinancing. We can help you. Call now toll free 866 472 5790. 866 472 5790. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Speaking with Stuart Levine today, author of Collaboration 2.0. And Stuart, um, you know, one thing I notice is that you don't use the word compromise. Uh, you use collaboration, you, you use coming to agreement, but you don't use the word compromise. Is there a specific reason for that? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> That's the nerve, okay? Uh, to me, very often, compromise means that each person involved is giving up something that's important to them. Right. And when you give up something that's important to you and you really haven't let it go, Yes. Um you're not happy with the resolution. Uh, and to me, that equals it's not resolved. Uh-huh. Okay? Uh-huh. So, you know, on small things, compromise might be okay, but the aspiration that I have um, 
is that people really get to resolution, and that only happens through collaboration. Right. Right. right, right. Um, so that's you know very astute of you to pick up that the word compromise you know is not part of my my litany. Yeah. It's 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 the aspiration is real resolution, and to me, the the, the definition that I use of resolution is a dictionary definition of resolution of a medical condition. When a oh. medical condition is resolved, it's gone, it's disappeared, and there are no remaining scars. Oh. oh. Now, granted, sometimes that's aspirational. Right, right, right. Um, but we do our best to aspire. You know, right. it, it, it reminds me of a story. When I was a young lawyer, first starting out practicing law, I used to listen to the older lawyers talking in the courthouse and back in the in the corridors behind the courtrooms where the judges' chambers are. And I once overheard some lawyers saying that, it, it, that how you know that you have a good agreement, a good settlement, is when everybody's unhappy. Hmm. And, and I've heard that. Okay. Yeah, I've heard people say things like that, and yeah. that, you know, that, that is why people get so upset about moving toward compromise. Right. And, and, and blanching, you know, and my response to that was that I didn't want to devote my life to functioning in a system mm. uh, that has that as its goal. <laughs> so we're all good if everybody's unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, so I, I have done my best to move beyond that, yeah. to look for the pieces of the puzzle that will help people get to a place of satisfaction and happiness. So, and, you know, I mean, we can't be Pollyanna about this. It can't always work, Right. Exactly. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't, but with a proper frame in terms of a mindset uh -huh. coming through some education or a good facilitator uh -huh. that can hold a certain space right. and a proper process right. that enables people to look at facts, deal with emotions, mm. and look to the future with a new agreement, mm. you can do an awful, awful, awful lot. You know, it sounds, too, like you are really helping people to hold that space of dignity and um, not feel shamed or embarrassed because they have emotion around this. And um, and I think that's a big part of conflict, then, too. You know, it, it's people, I mean, our, our society um, is hard-driving, you know, get-it-done-at-all-costs kind of society, and yet... Um, there's this sense that conflict's not okay, and that's why people avoid conflict so much. Um, and, and when that happens, people tend to lose their sense of dignity. You know, it's interesting that you raise that point about, quote, holding space. Mm -hmm. I, I just worked with um, five partners uh, earlier this week uh, and did a, an all-day process mm -hmm. about, you know, a conflict that had really degenerated. And one of the um, pieces of acknowledgement that was most important to them was the space that I was able to hold for them mm. to move through this process. Mm. And, you know, just from the other side, from my perspective, it's, it's kind of a, a real honor and a pleasure to hold that space for people. Yeah. And I feel um, like it's, a, it's kind of a sacred experience that people will would uh, trust me enough to let me guide them 
um, through this very, very um, uh, uh, sensitive arena. Right. Now, you know, it seems like this could be really powerful um, when you're sitting in front of people. Um, they could trust you. They could trust that it's safe to um, be authentic in themselves and that you will help them through the process. I imagine that conflict has taken on a little different twist in our Web 2.0 world um, where so much work is getting done virtually, where people don't necessarily have face-to-face -face opportunities to sit down and um, chat over a cup of tea or a beer. and um, So there's, there's less personal connection. And I imagine that has this kind of the good news, bad news, right? Uh, yep, it does have good news, bad news. I mean, you just kind of opened up a whole um, Pandora's box, so to speak, uh -huh. um, by by jumping into this area. Um, I have been, you know, it's, it's interesting. I don't consider myself to be a um, a real techie. Yeah. And yet, I've been um, carrying around a laptop for almost twenty years. Right. Right. Um, and a number of years ago, I, I appeared on the panel, and I was arguing the, the pro side that people could do an effective divorce mediation uh, in a virtual space. Wow. And everybody said, oh, that's impossible. Well, truth be told, between certain kinds of people, working in a virtual space and just using verbal communication would be the best way for them because being in each other's presence would generate so much emotion that they couldn't interact at all. Oh, and working in a verbal space enables them to kind of um, filter and edit their communication. It hmm. enables them to be more adult. So it almost as if it gives them a moment to take a deep breath, have their emotions say, no, that's not what this is about, and then look at it differently. Exactly. It creates a certain kind of buffer. Now, Interesting. That being said, that's the challenge of working in the virtual world. You know, the, the term that's used and that we use a lot, and it's one of the most important considerations in my new book, is when communicating in the virtual world, what's the bandwidth you're using? Okay? Email is kind of a low bandwidth because it's just verbal communication. And what most people don't fully understand is that when we communicate with another person, more than 90%, and this is, you know, borne out by psychological studies, more than 90% of our communication is visual and vocal, meaning the, the image and the tone or mood that we feel from another person. So if you're just communicating, with words in an email context, all of those other things are not part of it. You know these little little um, symbols, emoticons. Um, these, you know, when people sign their name, they put a little happy face. Known as emoticons. Are you with me? Hello. Hello. Hello? Hello? Oops, we have a technical difficulty here. Um, Andy, are you there? Andy's our engineer. So um, why don't we take a break while we figure out what's going on?
Hello. Right back. Talk about his money. Call us toll free 866-472-5790 and talk to the experts. We talk money all the time. Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching the brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Talk about his money. Call us toll free 866-472-5790 and talk to the experts. We talk money all the time. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we are both back now. We're speaking with Stuart Levine today. Stuart, we were talking about um, how people communicate via email and that they're... The mode for um, expressing emotion has become these little modicums, these little happy faces and things like that. Right. And when I first saw them, I kind of blanched at them. You know, this is, this is kind of ridiculous. Uh, but the more I've thought about it, especially through the process of writing this book, um, the more I've seen how essential it is because a lot of those emotions don't come out in pure text. And it's a way to really add... Um, bandwidth to it. So, you know, critical piece. And, and you know, we're, we're all carving out new territory here. Right, um, right. I mean, you know, if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would be doing um, telephone mediations uh, with people who are in different parts of the country, I would have um, kind of said, well, yeah, that's just a nice vision, but I'm actually doing them now. Wow. So it's, it's pretty amazing. That is amazing. And I imagine, too, that because we have become such a global village, that a lot of the people that you are interfacing with come from different cultures. Yes. And how does that affect us? Well, you need to be aware. Um, you know, in the face-to-face world, you certainly need to be aware of um, the, the, the cultural differences that people have. Right, right. So that you can take them into account and not... Um, judge others by your own standards. 
Right. And so when you're working with people in a particular culture, you know, it's time to do a little bit of, of research. Hmm. Um, so that's one piece. You know, the second piece is that more and more um, a global standard is developing. Uh, <laughs> it's a great story that was told to me by a, a friend and colleague. He was doing some um, work in China, and he was doing his best to put together a, a deal to have some uh, uh, products manufactured in China. And so he, you know, he, he did his best to be aligned with the local culture, <clears throat> and he spent a day um, getting to know people, building a relationship, uh, schmoozing, to use that term of art. And uh, then, he, you know, after a while, he did sign a manufacturing contract. And, and his Chinese counterpart said, you know, I'm really glad and pleased that we're able to get to an agreement on this. He says, but I have to tell you something or ask you a question. And the question is, how come you didn't try to close the deal on the first day? And he pulled out his his. A handbook of you know doing business with Americans and said that Americans were trying to close a deal on the first day. Oh, interesting. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I think we're all we're all learning about how to do this, and I think, as I said, a, a more of a global standard is starting right, to develop. Right. Right. So um, when you decided that when you saw the trend, there was something going on um, in, in the way that collaboration needed to be looked at from the technological perspective. Um, how did you decide to write this book? Well, what happened was it, it, it was really pretty simple. Um, I was part of a network of folks who were in the very much in the technology space, and this whole universe of social networks and value networks is growing. You know, a social network being something like um, like Facebook or LinkedIn, you know, being more and more popular in the business yeah. world. And I was involved in a couple of you know threaded conversation discussions, and there was one particular guy whose uh, signature appeared, and he came from an organization that he had built called Collaborate.com, and that's my co-author, David Coleman. And I looked at his website, and I said, this is real interesting, uh, and we exchanged a couple of emails, and then we had lunch, and then he invited me into this book project with a, um, that, that he was in process with. So he knows all about the technology. Uh, I know something about interpersonal skills and communication and conflict resolution and collaboration. And we did what is commonly known in te the technology world as a mashup. A mashup. A mashup. So a mashup. Explain for for people who don't know what's a mashup. Sure. So the best example of a mashup is when you. Uh, do a, a search, let's say, to find out where the closest Home Depot is to your house, um, and it creates a map for you? Yes. A mashup is the result of when you search two databases and you come up with a result. So that, ah. that map would show, you know, the location and, and the nearest stores. Well, David and I did a mashup of, you know, his database of knowledge and, and through 20 years of working uh, with technology tools for collaboration, and mine of interpersonal skills and communication. Uh-huh. And we, we put the two together. And it, it's actually <clears throat> very much an ongoing uh, work in progress in the sense that the book will si simultaneously <coughs> pardon me, mm -hmm. be released as a book, an e-book, and as a wiki. 
Ah. So it will be growing as people have more and more uh, knowledge and experience to contribute oh, to this emerging body of work. How do we collaborate effectively in a in a in a web point two point flattened world? Right. Well, you know, that's what's fascinating is that so many things are occurring now that we wouldn't even have been able to think about, you know, a year ago. And so how is it that you stay up with the needs? I mean, the change in conflict must must grow and shift and move um, all the time. Everybody can't have the same need in how they resolve things. You know, how do you stay so creative? Well... I think that you have to, um, that's a really good question, Cheryl. <laughs> but the, what you have to do is be in the moment oh, yeah. and be present yeah. and be listening for what's going on right in front of you. Right. And be, right. being able to pay attention. It's, you know, it, it, it's, I think over time the roadmaps that I use, the mental models that I use, have really become burned in, and so I'm not concerned with my own navigational skills, and I can be present for the people that are right in front of me mm-hmm. to deal with their particular situation. Mm. So, are you? Do you do anything? Like, do you have a meditation practice? Do you um, do yoga? Do you take long walks on the beach? I mean, how do you make sure that you have that capacity? to hold those clients, to be present, to really um, have them really be the only thing in front of you in that moment. Yeah. So, so great. Yeah, part of my morning practice is, um, is, is you know, some, some yoga and stretching that I have put together over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be a distance runner and had a back injury, so I do um, swimming when I'm, when I'm around and, and sometimes if I'm lucky on the road, I'm a, I, I do master swimming, which is, you know, I tend to swim for about a mile mm-hmm. um, and, and that is a very, very much a centering experience. Otherwise, I will, will walk no matter where I am. I've been known to walk around parking garages for, you know, 40 or 45 minutes in the morning. Um, and that's, parking garages? <laughs> yeah, some covered a covered spot. Yes, 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 or, yes. Or march around, you know, hotel right. floors from one floor to the right, other. Right, right, right. Now that's creative. Yeah. You know, most people wouldn't think to do that. Exactly, because yeah. because you know, and your question is a telling one. People people will, will often ask, so what does it take to be good at this stuff? Mm. And and the most primary thing is the way I describe it is you've done a lot of work on yourself over time. Yeah. yeah. And you're out of the way. Right. So that you can just be there right, totally right. for other people. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I would think that um, that for going back to the attorney piece, that for most attorneys, they don't hang out in that space. They hang out in their expertise, right? Generally, that is very, very true. Yeah. Um, and, and... You know, there are a lot of progressive things going on. Yeah. There's a group of of lawyers that, that meditate. Um, actually, there is a, um, a guy by the name of Leonard Riskin, uh, who was a professor at Columbia, uh, Maryland uh, School of Law. He's now in, in, uh, in Florida, I believe, who actually wrote a 100-plus page um, law review quality article 
on mindfulness practice and its con- contribution to being a better lawyer and being a better mediator. Mm. And that was published in the Harvard Law Review. Mm. Wow. So there's, there's, there's stuff going on. People are, right. rec- people are recognizing, just as they are in business, the importance of these tools. There's a, there's a yoga uh, instruction that is part of the a regular kind of recreational event at a major law firm in Boston. It's been going on for a number of years. Oh, how great. Yeah, how so, great. so things are happening. Things are happening. There's hope. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, Stuart, believe it or not, we're coming to the end of our hour together. It's gone by so fast. So I um, want to let people know that... Um, you can be reached, and you have a website. What is the website? I do. The website where people can reach me is um, is resolutionworks.com. Resolution is singular. Works is plural. Resolutionworks.com, and all my books are there and a whole bunch of other uh, resources for people. That's great. And uh, I just want to mention that the two other really famous books that you have written are um, Getting to Resolution, Turning Conflict into Collaboration, and The Book of Agreements, The Ten Essential Elements for Getting the Results You Want, which refers back to what we started our conversation about this morning. Um, And your current book, Collaboration 2.0, Technology and Best Practices for Successful Collaboration in a Web 2.0 World, is released, and um, people can buy it just about anywhere, right? Uh, it's not. It's not quite out yet. It'll be oh. about a month oh. before it's before it's in bookstores. But okay. it's available through through my website right now. Wonderful. Well, this has been really great to have you here, and uh, I want to invite you to come back uh, for another show, maybe you know, in about a year, and tell us how this has been working and what new discoveries you have made on sure. collaboration and conflict and sure. resolution sounds, <laughs> and resolution. Sounds- Sounds, sounds terrific. I will do that, okay? Great. Thanks so much for being here, Stuart. And I'd like to remind everybody to think big because the world could become a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. See you next week. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G dot com. See you next week.